This is a little bit of a salacious document, but this document goes into a whole bunch of different details on what likely went into training GPT-4, a little thing called speculative decoding of all things. It's how to talk to AI with your hosts, go to go and West the Synthmind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dogs, cats, robots, and everybody in between, especially you, slow and lazy. Chat GPT-4 responses. This is HTTTA. How to talk to AI. I am your host, West the Synthmind, Synthmind West, and as always, in a world where data reigns and algorithms dictate our future, one voice stands out to decode the mystery, simplify the complexities, and navigate uncharted pathways of artificial intelligence. Who, might you ask, is pioneering the frontier between humanity and technology? Your guide, your mentor, your friend. With her radiant knowledge, relentless curiosity, she dives into the realms where machines learn and grow. She is your tech guru. It's go to go, everybody. Gee, how are you? Hi, I am great for a special occasion. I think I should mm-hmm. say, everyone, let's meet wistful, wise, and wonderful Wes the Symphmine. Oh, Because wow. we are having a little celebration. Yeah. If you're not going to bring this up, I'm bringing this up because I'm so incredibly proud of you. And Thank you. the Upwork, we need to talk about this. You are killing and making history. You flatter me, Miss Go to Go. So yes, we got some super news in conjunction with Upwork's AI Hub release. The last few weeks, they've been cultivating and interviewing and screening a whole variety of freelancers and freelance agencies on the platform to add to this new AI Hub. This is a culmination of your one-stop shop if you're looking for someone that can consult, can develop, can build, can prompt engineer, can make you some AI artwork. And if you happen to scroll down on the AI Hub, we'll put the link up. There's your your friendly neighborhood, SynthMind, who happens to be one of the now Upwork certified top 1% AI consultants, I guess. We need to insert claps. Claps, I can do claps. <laughs> there we go. Claps, claps around for everybody. Okay, so. but let's take a step back. I remember sure. when we started talking 10 years back in AI years, mm-hmm. which is what, maybe four months ago, wow. What? 14 weeks ago, yeah. I remember when you told me that, hey, I listed on Upwork to start doing some prompt engineering jobs. Let's see how it goes. And I remember when you were like, oh, I just finished a job and like uh, got rating. You're five out of five stars now straight. So fast forward, this is just, you are the testament how curiosity in prompt engineering and understanding how to talk to AI and going, following basically that route can grow into complexity, into opportunities, into SymphMinds collective, coming together with everyone else. I am grateful for a team that includes you, G, and a bunch of other folks that I've been lucky to link up with and meet that that share a, a deep passion and excitement for everything AI. And because of some of those folks who also happen to be on Upwork, we have our SynthMinds agency on there. And in conjunction with this release and us getting this notoriety and this badge on our profile that we are an Upwork certified AI expert, they mentioned that we are the fifth most 
don't know if it's popular is the right word for it, but fifth most globally AI consultants in terms of like jobs that we've done, finished and rating. The, so the fifth largest grossing between me and some of my team on Sith Vine. So yeah, it's been a meteoric rise, I suppose. But uh, hopefully this is just the beginning. And, you know, I remember there is all these discussions like, oh, it's prompt engineering. Who is actually really making money? If you are creative and you are curious, there are so many opportunities, especially in the field that people don't know what it is. And just knowing extra, going and figuring out and helping people and being ahead of the time in that way. Everything what I'm seeing, more and more stories coming out and just the Civ Minds Collective, everyone involved. It's just amazing. It's a testament that, yes, it is a real thing. It is early days. Maybe it's not going to be around for five years, but it's going to change its form and shape. But the fundamentals, being first, being first listed on Upwork, that is huge. And just for some context, too, we've got 19 completed jobs. We've got a bunch of other ones that were underway. And then there's my agency, too, that has other work. Like, this is something that was started in March or July now, right? My first job, I got $32 an hour to do prompt engineering on here. Not big bucks, not paid consultancy meetings. Someone taking a chance on me based on the profile, based on what I was putting out there and saying, all right, well, let's see what you got. And, you know, grateful for that opportunity because on platforms like this, like Upwork, like Fiverr, and we've talked about it before, we as humans now, internet existing beings that do commerce, interact and talk and just live online a lot of the time, you know, what's our nature? Who's the best rated? Who's the most reliable? Who's done the most jobs? Who's earned the most? It's tough to break out or break onto the scene sometimes. So, I'm grateful for that first opportunity where it all started because to come to this point three, four months later, and now being able to be in a class where Upwork has looked through our, you know, offerings, evaluated how we interact with clients and our outputs, you know, the outcomes that we create for them. They've done all that and said, all right, you've got what it takes to handle our enterprise tier of clients. So, all right, let's welcome to the big leagues. And meaning that you had a physical like call with Upwork where they've been going Mm -hmm. through asking questions. So I really like this approach that they're taking this very seriously and actually doing the background check who is behind, how legit things are. And let me tell you too, when they had me fill out and update some of the things that I offer and the agency offers, even some of the things that they were saying, like, hey, what models do you have experience in? What different coding languages, what libraries you know how to use. It was clearly very well thought out. And as a result of that call, you know, I got a little bit of insight into their long-term goals. The gig economy is definitely live and well. And I think since obviously Uber is kind of the first thing that put it on the scene over a decade ago, but just since the pandemic, this is, I think, a very real, you know, people make their full-time incomes from stuff like this, have entire businesses on these type of platforms that they're hiring people around the world. So just to, you know, have something on here where they're, where they're forward thinking enough to go, all right, let's try to have, have that for everybody, but also be able to serve big businesses in a way that they can feel a little bit better about shopping or their choices and who to use for, you know, their AI objectives, I think is very, very with the times. 
And that kind of reminds me of what Ability AI founder Mohammed Ahmad, he was talking about who is going to be the consultants or running AI departments at AI companies or any kind of institution. And he had a very strong stand that it's not going to be a conventional MBA or conventional developer. And he was talking about incredible power of communities and also open source communities. And he was saying that in his company, Mm -hmm. there is like 19-year-old PhD student. There is, I think he even mentioned someone from Amazon Warehouse who just literally self-taught how to program. So he was pointing out that you have to be incredibly passionate and take part in a way, leading the way with everyone else involved. And this is how you build up real expertise, not necessarily going to school and learning what worked in the past. So I think, yeah, testament to gig economy and communities and communities coming together to form these collectives. Yes, I am a grateful recipient of those benefits, both from our Learn prompting community that brought us together, G, and uh, mm-hmm. also my team at SynthBinds. And we are a complete reflection of what Mo over at Stability, their CEO, you know, his approach as well. We have got 18-year-old freshmen in college that are just, you know, don't, don't have the education or anything about coding or prompting or anything like that, but just are super excited and passionate about it. All the way up to my, uh, my old timers that have 25 years of development leading dev teams and at all levels of enterprise we welcome their contributions professors architects everyone like and i think another very important aspect is people bringing their very specific expertise and knowledge because when you are in a meeting and you talk about ai and you go like okay this is a company they want to integrate this chatbot what other things we can put on top or ideas so if there is someone from marketing, if there is someone from customer service, imagine just those conversations happening in the moment. And then you throw yeah, yeah. architect on top or, I don't know, like someone from bioengineering. These kind of such a diverse, different perspectives yield such innovative idea. That is the ticket here. The diversity of a team is what really raises the bar, especially in this, because everyone's different viewpoint, different background can contribute. And that's what all this AI is. It's the great, great equalizer and in my mind. So thank you for calling out our little happy news. Feel free to come find us over on Upwork or elsewhere if you have some AI goals needed. What is the other place where everyone can meet us and engage with us and learn from us, please? Well, our Learn From Thing Discord and synthminds.ai, howtotalkto.ai. All those good places. Did you have something else in mind? I'm getting more and more messages, people asking where they can learn and meaning not just self-paced learning, like learn prompting is great. Like this is just to set your curiosity on fire what's possible, but learning from experts, learning from people who actually do it. I have one place in mind, which is Corise. Yes, indeed. Where uh, we'll be launching our first course offering with AI and ChatGPT for everyone. That will be the uh, 21st of August is convening. The link has been in the newsletter and in the show notes. We would love to see you down there. We're going to be expanding on everything from every aspect in learn prompting, tons of real world use cases, really just going to be the foundation for hopefully a lot more offerings on there 
in the coming months that maybe even we'll see data architect and renowned YouTube celebrity go to go teaching something on CoRise. Definitely going to be supporting you and Vesa and everyone else. Bang. Talking yes. about gig economy and work and expert also Upwork, I keep getting notifications from Reddit about, you know, ChatGPT being down. And then I went to read comments because it really feels like people are freaking out about it. And the comment section is incredible. How many people became so dependent that there was someone saying like, okay, so everybody throw ideas. How do I tell that I'm not going to meet any of my deadlines? Because that's it. My superpower is gone. Or someone was saying like, oh, so I need to now remember how to code and go to Stack Overflow. Like what? There is all the speculations about that GPT-4 is not as smart as it used to or not. The outputs are not as good as it should be. And I know we discovered something. So do you want to just dive into that? I mean, we definitely could. So this is, I mean, a little bit of a salacious document, so to speak. But hey, I'm just, we're commenting on it. We didn't do anything with posting, you know, do not claim to be authors or necessarily endorse or abide by any of the things put out in there. But then to just to reiterate, this is leaked by an individual by the name of Yam Peleg, He's scientist, entrepreneur, founder and CEO of Deep Trading. This reason this is kind of a salacious post and on a random pastebin site right now. And we'll put the link in the uh, description and in the show notes, but it very well may get taken down is because this was part of a research study that was put behind a paywall that was thousand bucks to access. And I think the, uh, the publisher, the author here just put it up there and he's already had a couple of takedown complaints, but it's the internet. It was something from a study titled GPT-4 architecture infrastructure that was behind a paywall that was thousand bucks to even access the article. So thank you, Yam, for uh, potentially taking the bullet for all of us so we could learn a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what it is. But this document goes into a whole bunch of different details on what likely, this is not confirmed information, but what likely went into training GPT-4 and specific to your comment, Goto, where people are saying it's down or the quality has deteriorated, you know, and it's, it's no good anymore. There's something to that here in this document, which is a little thing called speculative decoding of all things. They actually talk about that in here. It's cool. actually a function of the architecture of GPT-4, why some of the quality might as reduced or people think that the quality has gotten a little worse. This is my favorite insight from it. There's this calculation, Chinchilla's Optimal, which basically goes, hey, for this number of parameters, you're going to need this number of tokens to train on. And for GPT-4, if you use this ratio, it should have trained on twice the amount of tokens that it actually ended up training on, which was 1.8 trillion parameters, 120 layers trained on 13 trillion tokens. So what that speaks to is they are having trouble finding free quality data. So if you've already scraped all, all the internet, all these free sources, I think here's a couple of things where they confirmed what was in there. LibGen, SciHub, all of GitHub, you know, all of Wikipedia, these type of things. But 
that still is not enough. Common Crawl and Refined Web were both 5 trillion tokens. So that means that even all of this, all of GitHub, all of SciHub, and LibGen was 3 trillion tokens. And it technically still should have had more. This is something what I wanted to talk with you about AI data pollution and the comparison to nuclear impact Here we go. from 1945. So you mentioned quality, right? It actually has the perceived reductions in quality actually are speculatively due to this thing called speculative decoding in GPT-4's inference. Again, author not 100% sure here, but basically, since there's faster models underneath to decode the tokens in advance, that then gets feed into the big GPT-4 large model, right? The quality of some posts might have deteriorated because to save on costs, they're letting the smaller models like answer the questions in some instances for like lower probability kind of inputs. So that would mean you have these smaller models that are mainly just meant to parse through a input prompt and then feed it to the right, you know, because there's nine models that apparently make this up, make up GPT-4, feed it to the right places to get the response in instances where it's like, oh, well, this is a simple question, simple input. I'm only going to have the lower quality speculative decoding models, the smaller, faster ones respond, not big GPT-4. So there's another case for prompt engineering right there. Simple zero shot prompt, not as good right now because to save costs, hey, I'm going to have the smaller, more narrow model that's main job is just translating and organizing for big GPT-4. I'm just going to have it answer it because it saves us on costs and speed, which is the big limitation. But it makes so much sense in a way, because yeah. if you look at like population who use ChatGPT, the percentage of people asking absolutely basic questions. So why would yep. they let GPT-4, like why would they pay so much money for this compute? So optimizing it and fine tuning and letting, as you said, lower quality models do the job because that's just enough. And yeah, yes. that's absolutely right. But if you are smart with your prompt and you know how to prompt well, you can kind of unlock the actual GPT-4. Yeah. So here's the no kidding hard costs that they have to pay in power and usage, you know, for a thousand tokens on GPT-4, the smaller GPT-4 inference, inference model is 0 0.0049 cents per a thousand tokens to basically process the data, right? And since this is getting used so, so much at a time, Chad, you know, even OpenAI is processing like our individual queries one at a time, like, hey, I'm going to write something in, it's going to go to, you know, to some server farm somewhere that is running GPT-4 and answer my question. It's literally all batched together, second by second, everybody's inquiry, right? And sent to it at once. And these things are bulk decoded by these smaller inference models and executed by the big GPT-4 models. So that saves on their utilization that by keeping these batch sizes high. But I think when people, you know, use simpler prompts, when they're not asking more complex questions, it's way more easy to just offload those responses in simple ways than continually push them in. Especially if that, you know, that model determines there's probably some threshold because every time the language model is responding, 
way the transformer architecture works, it's calculating this like singularity value. And if it, it seeds this little value, which is the prob best probable response, if it probably doesn't meet certain threshold, GPT-4 is just having these smaller organization models inference them and respond. Why some people think, hey, the quality has gone down. So if I go on Reddit and I see every post which says, oh, quality is down, I'm not achieving the results I used to, I can assume that prompting in not exactly well made way. Their prompting probably sucks. This is like the vetting process. You know, it's just one of those things where, hey, we have a podcast, so we can hopefully get people to think about these things a little different and try to get a little more juice out of the GPT-4 orange by some good prompt engineering and some good little tips and tricks on how to talk to AI. It's kind of built this way, that if you don't try and shape and put some thought and care and effort and maybe some technique into your things you're passing into GPT-4, it's just going to do what it was designed to do and answer your question in the simplest, most likely way. I think it was from Albert Einstein saying that if I have a problem and I have one hour to solve it, I would spend 59 minutes thinking about how to solve it or how to frame the question and then actually do it. Something between those lines. So this is like being very intentional. What are you trying to achieve? How do you communicate that to actually get you the results is important. But this is like, again, the subset of a population who really want to use AI in an extraordinary manner. However, the other 99% of people are just going to be happy and satisfied with results that they get, even with simple prompting or already pre-optimized prompting from their chatbot or organization, don't you think? But not everyone needs to have access to superpowers. Yeah. And with what? What's the line? With great power comes great responsibility. If you're going to be able to weave these things, well, you know, it's probably in your best interest to educate you in the best and the safest and the most ethical ways to do so. Now that we are back on a quote, <laughs> riding that train, this is a another thought is that, you know, if you give to the child super advanced computer and programming and they don't even know how to use it, there is no point in that, right? So this yeah. kind of like optimizing that, okay, for the lower quality prompts or tasks, this model is good enough. And AI can determine that, of course. And for anything which is more advanced, okay, then we kind of, this is like qualification, right? Like where you pass the level to be able to actually communicate with GPT-4. This is also interesting looking in the future, right? There is going to yeah. be a group of people who have access to the best of the best or know how to access it versus everyone else who have good enough. It could be the great unifier or the great divider. At least when the way I kind of think about it is it's all out there for you to kind of determine your own destiny, your own future. I wanted to talk about, just I wanted to mention the training cost. What are those numbers? That's the amount of processing power that it took to train GPT-4. So that's 2.15 times E to the 25th. So that means you take this little decimal point and move it 25 spaces to the right and then put zeros in the spaces. That's how many, <laughs> many flops here was needed to train it. So they trained on 13 trillion tokens of data. They did it in six goes, right? 
two goes did all the text data and then four were required for all of the code data it trained on. All right. I think the most, I mean, just talk about a ordeal, 25,000 A100. These are the top end machine learning GPUs for 90 to 100 days but they're only able to use them at about 32 to 36% utilization. And that's because at all these checkpoints, they kept having different failures that needed to be restarted from. So that's where that million lines of code comes from. It's they're having to tune in different parameters and tweaks to even ingest all this data into a model because there's so many different conflicts. They said that speculating on technology that was available back when GPT-4 was training. It took 90 to 100 days, probably cost about $63 million to train. And that's just in server costs. So if you now put in all your architect, your, all your architects, all your designers, your coders, all your overhead, I mean, like that's, that was 100 million bucks to, mm. to train a model that can perform like that. Today, some of that could have probably been done a little more efficiently because they have these H100 GPUs now that NVIDIA puts out, probably going to even be less, could have done in half the time, third of the budget. To me, that's fascinating to be like, wow, just the amount of, I mean, like, where do you even begin? Be like, oh, this is going to be a million lines of code to to do this. Like, imagine starting at line one, like, all right, let's keep going. (laughs) It's insane. Like, you know what I would like to see? Someone, or maybe we can even do it, translating this in the energy. How much energy did this consume yeah. for nine to two hundred days? Sixty-three million, like investment in training. How much that was also electricity bill? Yeah, I would love no, to see I, visualization just like powering mega cities. That is the the limitation right now, and I think that's also why, and we think we've mentioned it on here, Sam Altman, and there's a lot of AI you know, experts and uh, leaders that are very invested into renewable energies, Mm. fusion technology, because if it cost that much in just compute time, 63 million to train GPT-4 for a 1.8 trillion parameter model, if their true mission is AGI, artificial general intelligence, that thinks and reasons like a human does. Well, our brain has a hundred trillion parameters, basically connections between neurons. So if we're just going to go apples to apples, if you've got to get a model that's 50, 60 times bigger than GPT-4 to maybe achieve AGI, a one, how do you even get the data to train that considering that they already identified that they were 13 trillion tokens short in training this? One AI.com is kind of floating around. That's something interesting to look into. They claim that it's AI which is trained on your internal documents. So it inherits the knowledge from your business. And basically they provide a bunch of different use cases, products like custom skill development, biz GPT, language analytics, multilingual AI, and so on. I'm very curious to try it. And I was thinking to book a demo. Definitely would be interesting to report on that. What I love about something like this, just looking at it with my little like, you know, AI hat from someone that builds things like this. This is essentially top layer fine tuning with a lot, a lot of spit and polish on every, every aspect. Folks can go out there with a handful of GitHub repos that are free as can be, do this themselves. But... I think it's a very real thing when you have big businesses that are not AI 
experts or tech centric or whatever, they are more than happy to just pay big dollars to go, you there, you have a shiny AI website, make me the thing where mm-hmm. it can be chat GPT for my info. So kudos to them for taking advantage of it. I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to do on a, a different or smaller scale. Exactly. It's you take everything what's available and you package it in a beautiful website and then you go and sell it. What's interesting to me as an outcome, because I've worked in big data company, that you can bring anything like this, but if your data is a mess, if your systems is a mess, nothing speaking with each other, the next natural step is the same company is going to be like, yeah, we used it. It's not that good. The response from this company should be like, oh yeah, of course, but we can help you with, you know, introducing machine learning, looking through your whole processes, optimization, and then we prepare your businesses for actually using AI. So this is kind of double upselling. And I think a lot of businesses is going to be experiencing that. And this is what I told you when I had conversation with the lady sitting two seats below Sasha from Microsoft. She exactly talked about enterprise level, that enterprises buy anything AI. 90% of them don't have infrastructure to actually fully use it. And there is so much opportunity for not just consultancy, but how to integrate, how to make processes run. Because it's like putting a lipstick on a pig. What is the saying? Or... Garbage in, garbage out. What I understood is also what she was saying. You have AI on your business data. And that's basically the future. And another interesting thing, when we talked you know, about hallucinations and like I was like, importance of prompting. Blah, and she was like, these things were never meant for factual data. That's what you have Google for. And I was like, okay, for Microsoft, they've been, you know, on it for a while. And it was meant for internal how to optimize processes, PowerPoint things, summarizing meetings, mm-hmm. all, if you think about it really, like these LLMs solve those problems, very much white collar, day-to-day job problems. Knowledge-centric jobs. Exactly. exactly. So, but those problems center around specific knowledge. So now, of course, there is a part of you know, internet and training as a knowledge and testing and improving and all that. The point is that for her, this prompt engineering, absolute drop in the ocean. She is on completely different level and scale of thinking. For her is enterprise. For her is like every enterprise, the clients of Microsoft enterprise, this is where real money is. So she's everything software, everything AI, every enterprise project. Everything what is not hardware, she is the head of globally selling these things. So she said, everyone is buying it. Everyone wants it. 90% don't know how to deal with this, what to do with this. And it's the same problem as always. If you have shitty processes inside your business, if already departments don't speak, data is completely unstructured in random places. You have to rethink the whole business infrastructure. And she was saying that implementing AI into enterprises, this is where money is. Oh, no doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. But you often have to make some sacrifices to make things simpler, to make them bigger and broader. So I think Mm. that's why she probably doesn't think too highly about prompt engineering. 
And as a matter of fact, like I, I kind of, you know, the statement to say where these things were never meant for factual data. Well, no, they are, but you need alignment. You need super alignment. That's why OpenAI mm-hmm. is hiring a super alignment team to work through these things. It's a perfect example of in this little article here on Pastebin that talks about everything that goes into GPT-4, right? There is over a million lines of code that is just for alignment-related purposes to get it to reason the way it should. A million lines of code, you know, just for alignment. And that's for a model that has 1.8, as it says, 1.8 trillion parameters, 120 Mm -hmm. layers. So a million lines of code to get it to, and what alignment means is thinks and reasons like a human. That's what they're they're going for. Just to say that her kind of stand for prompt engineering was just basically that's not something on enterprise level. That is a part of the whole bigger problem. It's going to be a feature that a whole team of people have put into a single button. This is very similar what I was looking at Prompt Perfect, their new feature prompt as service. Yeah, I love that. Exactly. This is what you place behind the button. You click it, everything is optimized yes. for your specific use case. When we were drinking wine, she was celebrating that there is a reorg. She's moving up. Can't disclose the actual title now, but it's insanity. Yeah. She was kind of making this analogy that Apple is going to make pretty shiny thing as their VR headset. And everyone is going to want that. But again, if you compare money to be made from enterprise AI, where Microsoft is going 100% chips versus doing hardware VR headset and trying to compete with Apple on all the aspects, it's just something completely not the focus. The whole VR AR experience or like augmentation of, you know, how we experience our interface with hardware, the final view, the final you know, how we experience it, it's not going to be a headset sitting on your head. But to get there, that's one of the tools that we are going to use till we have something better technologies there. We talked about prompt engineering similarly, and we've been talking that this is going to be relevant for like two, one to two years. Immediately relevant for anybody to casually get the most out of AI. If you want to use AI at a high level now, you have to learn some prompt engineering. To do that, plunge different ways. Pop over to learn prompting. Hey, we happen to have a course on AI and chat GPT that we're launching here and with CoRise in August. That's another great way. There's tons of different resources, but you are right. I think the days of that being a requirement to interface with AI at a high level are numbered. I also gave her like my, what I shared with you was two visions of easy and effective, and that it's 1% of people who are going to move to what is actually behind that button, how it's getting optimized, how every organization has their own AI and prompts designed for that organization, maybe, versus everyone else using it. But it's the same as it's always been, right? It's the same pattern going forward. That 1% is amazing opportunity because this is also the reason why we called this how to talk to AI and not prompt engineering podcast. Yeah, we had had those discussions. (laughs) Right. So because how you talk with AI will be evolving to the crazy sci-fi levels. Where one day I can just grunt at a Microsoft PowerPoint document and it makes me my whole presentation. It was just fascinating 
to see at what scale she's thinking. Yeah. It's completely different from anything I've seen. We're not talking millions, hundreds of millions. And if it's not hundreds of millions, no. then it's not interesting. So that's definitely something. And it was quite reassuring that the biggest companies are jumping on AI. She said 90% of them have no clue what to do, how to do it. So there's so much opportunity. Maybe they need an AI expert, a certified AI expert. This story of you and your journey, plus, you know, going from small $32 prompting job. Do you still know the client? We should bring them on a podcast. He was a, a marketing guy and he actually, so it was great, he had a tool for an internal tool that he had already built that would just basically like help his people respond to client inquiries way faster and just built three little prompts that, you know, did some specifics that he wanted from summarizing to email responses to different viewpoints. As you can see, I still remember it. But yeah, I was $96 and then Upwork, you know, when you're a newbie, they take their cut. So they take uh, 20%. So I made all like 70, 74 bucks or something like that. But that was enough to get this train rolling. This is how things start. And nevertheless, this is absolutely inspiring and should be inspiring for anyone that it's not by any means too late. There is, of course, first mover advantage, which you experienced, but the space is still yeah. so early. Like this is going to be just growing and how starting with something smaller can lead you to almost working at enterprise level. This is just fascinating because this is where real problems and real money is going to be made. Is this place good as any <laughs> finish this podcast? This place is as good as any go to go <laughs> for G herself and West the Synth Mind. That's me saying happy prompting, everybody. Happy prompting, everybody. Thanks for listening to How to Talk to AI with your hosts, go to go and West the Synth Mind. As always, you can check out the show notes and links at howtotalkto.ai. That's all for this week's episode. Happy prompting, everyone.